Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. to get to know St. Paul and a little bit about his world um, before getting into Romans. Because Romans is one of the most important um, epistles and pieces of biblical scripture in in general. Um, Also, some of the most controversial scripture in the history of all of Christianity. Romans has been um, extremely divisive. The whole Protestant Reformation had a lot to do with, with the Book of Romans. Um, it's because the whole theme of Romans is what exactly is salvation and justification. There's a whole bunch of language issues. Um, and so it kind of opened the door to the faith versus works debate. Um, I'm hoping that what we'll see as we read St. Paul together is that he's not even talking about that. Um, that's what we talk about. He is not. Um, he's talking about how did we get made right with God, we as the whole people. Um, Luther and Augustine took that very personally and made it about how do I personally, not we as the people of God, get right with God. And that caused a whole debate that's essentially today kind of meaningless. Um, even the Roman Catholics and, and the Lutherans today have an agreed statement on that very issue. Um, that, th- that they're not really as divided as they thought they were. Um, not much has happened from it, unfortunately, it should have. But um, Romans is hard. Um, so we'll start with St. Paul because my Bible is still opening. Um, so I will do this because we'll just read the first verse because that will be my segue. You can't tell that I'm nervous, I'm very nervous. I never did Bible study before coming to this church, so don't judge me, because I feel incompetent. Okay. I kind of want my translation, because I don't like this translation. Um... Paul, a bondservant, which should be translated as slave, of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. That's what I'm going to use to talk about St. Paul. Um, And again, we talked about slavery when we did the gospel of John. Slave is what Paul is actually saying. I think people get worried to write that today because of all the negative connotations around the word slave. Um... But slave didn't mean the same thing back then. Slave didn't, didn't mean what, like, what we talk about today in abolition and, and, and civil rights um, and, and what happened that went very wrong there. Slave was 
um, a position that actually is paid. It's more like a servant today. That's why some people will translate it as servant instead. Um, a slave could be educated. A slave actually could be an ambassador. Like the slave, a slave had could have dignity. Um, and so, a slave also in Mediterranean culture, a slave, sorry, women, we said this before, but and women, <laughs> and children had no identity outside of their male or their master. Um, and so when 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 he's saying he's a slave, what he's saying is a positive is. I don't have an identity unless in you, right? And so it's actually a very beautiful thing when he's calling a slave. It's not an abjugation thing today of being like, I am your slave, like of saying, I just offer myself at your feet in, in that way. He's saying it as, my identity is nothing if it's not in you, right? And that the beauty is that Christ says, I don't call you slaves, right? This is what he says in the Gospel of John, actually. I call you friends. Right, and so whenever we use that language, it's important for us to be careful because I think Christians can very easily get into this really negative theology of I'm filthy, I'm disgusting, I'm scum, um, and that's cute if you mean it, but it's important to know that God isn't calling you that or asking you to call yourself that. So if you feel that way, no problem, but it's not, it shouldn't be because you think you're supposed to, right? Because I think we sometimes think repentance is that, um, and it's not, right? It's not to just like hurl insults at ourselves because God actually loves us. Um, and that's why he's like, I never called you that, right? There was no command in Eden that said, bow down and call me master, right? It was, let's chill. Um, so Paul, um, Paul started off as Saul. Incidentally, Saul, Paul never refers to himself as Saul. We only know about this Saul-Paul thing from, from St. Luke. Um, but he's born in the diaspora. So the Jews had scattered right over time um, and for various reasons. Some people had left willingly, others because of the different occupations, whether there was the Persians or the Babylonians and then the Greeks and then the Romans, right? That there was the diaspora that Jews left, right? We, we use the word diaspora today to refer to the dispersion of, of Christians from the Middle East, but um, it originally was referring to them. So, in Rome in particular, and wherever Paul came from, from, from somewhere in, in, in um, Tarsus, um, it might have come from uh, when the previous emperor, Pompey, um, had taken over Palestine in that area because he subjugated the Jews and he led a whole bunch captive and they made their way to Rome and other places in, in Antioch, Seleucia, and all those places. Um, and they were taken originally as slaves. Um, and it seems that eventually they were freed and granted Roman citizenship because for some reason Paul's a Roman citizen and we have no idea why. Um, it doesn't make sense for a Jew to have Roman citizenship, but Paul clearly does. So he probably comes from that lineage. Um, we have no idea when he was born. Um, it seems to be, like, cause in, in the immediate years after Jesus' death, because one of the reasons Paul is so important is that Paul's writings predate the Gospels. And that makes actually the letters of Paul, in my view, more important than the Gospels. Because Paul's talking about death and resurrection of Christ. He's talking about Eucharist. He's talking very high-level language before the Gospels are even written, showing that this was part of Christian life before it was even written down. Um, and that's important. 
Um, like that's very important from a, an apologetics perspective. That's very, very important. Um, and so we know that from short after Jesus' death that he was a young man who is holding the coats of the people who are murdering Stephen, right? This is within, this is within weeks after the Lord is, is crucified, right? So, um, and rose. So he's referred to as a young man there, but then um, he calls himself an old man when he's writing to his epistle to Philemon. Um, and so we don't, but that means nothing. <laughs> Right, because an old man then could have been 45, 50. Like, so, and he might just be saying that, so we don't even know. Um, but we think he was born somewhere around when our Lord was born. Um, and as late as 10 AD. So Christ was probably born three years before Christ. Um, and that's just because there was, a, whoever had tried to set this AD thing had made some miscalculations. Um, and so most likely Christ was probably born three years before he came. Um, and so the latest that Paul is born is around 10 AD. Um, Saint, it's Luke who tells us that Paul is from Tarsus, um, and he returns there after he meets the Lord. So Tarsus was the capital of Cilicia and Asia Minor, which is like the Turkish area today. Um, and this is a really important location. I, so I, I know this might all come off as so boring, but it's just so important to know what that world looked like. That whole side of the map was stupidly important to Rome, okay? Because Rome feared one thing, okay? They feared the Parthians, they feared everyone who's like to the east, right? That's why they cared to dominate Palestine and Judea, was not because they cared at all about Palestine, um, but because they wanted control of the map, right? They want the trades, and they also want protection from Persians, okay? If the Persians come, they're in trouble because they defeated the Romans before, and they were always a threat to Rome. Um, so, um, Pompey, Emperor Pompey made a big fool of himself um, in 63 BC, he was trying to show this great show of force that he could conquer the Parthians. He failed miserably and was humiliated, but he did do a decent job in Palestine, if I, if I remember my history correctly. Um, and so the city that Paul is born in, Tarsus, has a population of half a million when Paul is born. In the ancient world, that's huge. Like that's, that's, a really big, um, that's a big city, keeping in mind that Rome at the time only had about a million people in it. Okay, so this isn't, uh, this isn't a small city. Um, so he's a city boy, um, which makes a difference when he's going to Jerusalem and they're not city people. Um, and so at one point, Tarsus had surpassed both Athens and Alexandria for learning, um, specifically for philosophy and rhetoric, which is probably why you can see that in St. Paul. I hated him as a kid, now he's my favorite, but because I couldn't understand anything he said. Um, but it's because he comes from there, and that's what they do there, right? They know philosophy, and they know rhetoric, and it, and it shows. Paul can outspeak anybody. Um, sorry? Philosophy and rhetoric? Rhetoric, yeah, the, the art of speech. Um, and so he could, like, they're trained to debate, they're trained to speak beautifully, they're trained to be eloquent. Um, a lot of the early church fathers went to school for that too. Um, and so that's why when they write, it's very verbose. Um, and it's also, um, 
probably why he was such a hardliner. Um, is because he really, he really knew his stuff. Okay? Um, we don't know enough about Paul's actual social status, which really did matter in that world. Um, we said uh, we know he's a Roman citizen, um, but uh, Paul himself actually never says that. Um, so we know he eventually was a tent maker. Um, I think he said it when he was in the book of Acts. Yeah. He was about to be returned to uh, uh, Jerusalem. He said, no, I don't want to go there. Uh, I, I'll raise my... Uh, right. My, uh, he, he flags the citizenship to appeal to Caesar to go to Rome. Yes. But Luke's writing it. Like, that's what I'm saying. Paul never in his own letters says, I, a Roman citizen. So, and not against the nitty-gritty of it, the Paul of Acts is not always the same as the Paul of his letters, and there's good reason for that, but that's the reason why scholars even bother to, to ask. I don't think there's an issue, but um, if he was a tent maker, it means he's a craftsman, which isn't that impressive in their society. Um, and so that's why he's not sure whether he, whether he had learned it and used it to make money for his preaching later, or if that's where he came from. It's, just, it's shrouded in in mystery, and it would have mattered to the Jews for how they receive him. But Pharisees, we said, we're going to really see Paul becomes a Pharisee, or Saul becomes a Pharisee. Um, Pharisees, actually, the people like them, right? We Today, we use the word Pharisee as a pejorative statement to call someone a hypocrite, right? But actually, the people liked Pharisees, because the Pharisees um, were the people's men, right? They called out things as they saw it, right? So they could tell off priests, they could tell off Romans, Right, and they usually were not rich, um, and they were usually craftsmen like Saint Paul was. So the people liked them, right, because they're like, okay, they're one of us, right, and they're they're not rich because the the, the reigning priestly class were the Romans guys, right, in Jerusalem, right. So the the Sadducees, um, which we know from the Book of Acts, the high priest was a Sadducee. Um, they were the they were elite. They were literally buddy buddy with the Romans, and the Romans put them in power. Right, so the people had some animosity towards them. Right, the Pharisees represented them very well. Um, I'm trying to figure out why my Bible still isn't. Um, so he was a tent maker. Are you connected to the Wi-Fi? No, it's just being silly. Um, so he he knew Greek fluently. Actually, quite possibly, Greek was his first language. Um, you can see that from his letters. The level of Greek that he's using is is like doesn't sound like somebody who, who learned it, um, especially with the depth of his language. Um, and from where he came from, that would have probably been a local language. So he probably would have learned Hebrew um, after, but he is, his actual language was was Greek. And all this is going to matter, too, for understanding why Paul matters as a person, not just for what he did, but who he is, like who God called um, to preach. Um, but he was super proud of being a Jew. And it might be, again, what, what, something that's cool about Romans, sorry to digress and I'll come back for a minute, is Romans is really addressing ethnic issues um, and how you deal with multicultural issues in one church, which is a monumental problem 
for Orthodox churches in North America today. Um, and so I wonder if part of Paul's zeal, which we'll see is a big deal for Paul, is because he's a Jew who's not in his homeland, right? And so he feels this super connection, right? Because for the Jews, right, we, like, to, to the Judaism, as we call it today, is anachronistic. Judea didn't exist in antiquity, right? They didn't refer to themselves as Jews, right? They referred to themselves as simply the people of God, right? They were, and when they spoke about Judaism, they were talking about a kingdom. They weren't talking about a religion, okay? And so for them, right, they place as much importance on their nation and their people and their country in this time as they do on their God, right? And so when they were in diaspora, they would still speak of the motherland as the real land, right? Some of our parents, some of you might even feel that way, like if a few have immigrated, um, but that was a sense of, of identity for them, and clearly it was for them, all the way till 1940, whatever, when Israel was, was there, is that we need to give them their homeland, right, was, was the sentimentality. So that's part of their, their nature. So St. Paul was very proud of this, and he's still proud of it, because people misunderstand St. Paul and talk about him a lot as though he was renouncing Judaism in favor of the New Covenant. No, he wasn't at all. Um, like he, he boasts, I'm a Jew circumcised on the eighth day, I'm from the tribe of this, I'm taught by the best. Like he's big on it, and, he, and, and, and we'll, we'll see in the book of Romans that he is. Um, and he take, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews um, and a Pharisee. Um, so he's raised in a devout Jewish family, conscious and part of Jewish identity, committed to Judaism and the Jewish way of life. Um, so at some point he goes to Jerusalem for training. He's trained by Gamaliel. Right, or Gamaliel, I don't know how to say his name, but that was in Jerusalem. Um, and that's where he kind of got indoctrinated. That's where, where, where he went to, like, training camp, um, for lack of better words. Um, so you've got this guy who's from a Romanized Hellenistic city, from an urban city boy Jewish way of life, and mentioned in diaspora Jewish life, um, speaking Greek. Um, even the Septuagint, which not a lot of people used back then, knows Greco-Roman literature, culture, philosophy. Um, he knows his own training. He's educated. Um, and he's as Jewish as Jewish can be because he's been trained with the best. Okay, So he is a Jewish theologian. I want you to have in mind that this is a guy who, for all intents and purposes, is like the Richard Dawkins... Um, today of atheism, okay, he's that of the Jews for his time, okay? So he's not just some guy who's religious, right? He's the guy who you can rally around, who's loud, who knows how to talk, and who can rip apart any opponent in debate if he'd like to. So you've got that going on, okay? So Saul of Tarsus grows up, he's doing all this. But then you've got what's going on in Judea um, for Christians. So a lot of people don't realize that the early church, it wasn't like Jesus rose and they're like, oh, let's start churches, right? Actually, it was, let's go to synagogue, right? Because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So we're still Jews. We just, we think that this is who he is. That's why today there are some Messianic Jews. There's different kinds. Some of them are those who say, he's not God, but he is the Messiah. We'll take that. There's some who he's God and then go another route. But the early Christians didn't meet in, in churches. They met in the synagogue. They still went to the temple. 
right? And so you've got this major problem going on because you've got people who are now coming to the temple who believe that Jesus was the real deal. Um, and you've got the apostles who are still alive at this time, right? Who are being beat up for it and they're going into the synagogues and saying, well, actually, this is who Jesus is. So you started having a persecution really fast because you've got hardliners within the community, it's still seen as one community, where like, no, he's not. You've got hardliners within the community saying, yes, he is. And then you've got people who are not really sure what to do. And then it gets violent, right? Within, within no time, right? Within a few years of Jesus' death, um, sorry, not weeks, it was a few years, Stephen is being accused of um, speaking against this holy place, being the temple, um, and against the law probably referencing what Christ said of, I will destroy this temple and raise it up, right? That Stephen is speaking in the same line. Um, and, and, and they said, saying, Jesus of Nazareth said, we'll destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. That's the accusation they made, right? And they're like, how dare he change what Moses says? Because here's a guy saying, stop doing Jewish ritual, right? And why do the Jews have a say in this? Because it's happening in the temple. It's happening in the synagogue. So of course they're responding, right? Imagine, imagine if, if, if Islam grew inside the church initially and said, stop saying Jesus is God because actually Muhammad is the prophet, right? Like you're gonna get a lot of heads turning, right? And saying you, you can't play with us in our playground anymore, right? And eventually that, that, that happens. Um, so you've got St. Stephen, who's put to death within a few years of that, and, and we know St. Saul is, is there, um, happily holding the coats of those who are killing him. We've got James, the brother of John, um, put to death by Herod Agrippa, um, somewhere around 41 AD, um, which met with the approval of the Jews, and actually Yusufus, uh, a Jewish uh, writer, writes of that account too. Um, and then you've got St. Paul, who in his, his letters, um, telling the Thessalonians, like he's encouraging them about their persecution, right? So persecution is, is already rampant. Um, and then actually during a, peri a period between governors, um, uh, Annas, the high priest, right? The same guy we read about in the Gospels, has the other James killed as well. Right, so you've got like both James have been murdered within the first decade of, um, of our life. So like death is a thing for these Christians. Um, so the members of the Judean Church um, are facing ostracism, persecution um, from those in their immediate environment. These are not outsiders that are doing to them. It's it's it's, it's their friends. Um, where this came to a real head-on-head, -head, actual like full collision, was '66. Okay, because that's when the Jews go to war with the Romans. Okay, it results in the destruction of the temple, right? That our Lord prophesied about when he told the disciples. He was like, not one stone will be left upon the other. Um, and so the, the Christians don't support the Jews. So from that war on, that's when you've got church, synagogue, two separate entities. But up until then, they were, they were doing things together. And so it's important to understand, the reason I'm not telling this is to say this is, this is the, the system that's going on. Stephen's not put to death for heresy, right? 
Stephen's really being put to death because of sectarian strife, right? Where it's like, it's like, no, I don't like this sect. This group is not righteous. Um, and so this, I hope, makes you understand the context that we're going to see of why um, there's suspicion around Gentiles, right, when we go out there. Because the Christians at home are going through a lot, right? They're going through, they're going through a lot, a lot. Um, and so when you've got James and these early Christians fraternizing with the Romans, right, then their suspicion is also these Romans and these Gentiles being like, how come these Christians are in love with Rome, our occupiers, right? This is not just a religious issue, it's also a political issue for them. It's a, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and actually, this fraternization, right, of, of are the Jews going to stray from the Torah? Because they, they're Christians, because they were still holding to the Torah, right? They're like, when they interact with the Gentiles, are they going to stop even that? And so, one of the big clashes that were, that, that, that happens between St. Paul and St. Peter is over this issue because um, actually in Antioch there was an open table policy and the Gentiles and the Jews were eating all together and we'll, we'll see what happens there because it becomes a big problem. Um, and so this is, this is the backdrop of Saul of Tarsus. Okay, So Saul of Tarsus he says of himself in his epistles that he acts on account of his zeal, okay? And um, he was extremely zealous for the tradition of his fathers. Zeal is a religious concept in Judaism that means something beyond what it just means today, okay? Um, it's not, uh, in the words of N.T. Wright, who I really recommend for reading about Paul, it's phenomenal. Um, and uh, Another guy that I forgot his name, but I'll, I'll pull up to, to suggest some references for you guys if you want to read about him. But um, it's not just hot-headed enthusiasm, is what as M.T. Wright says. Um, it's violent. This is jihad, okay? There's, 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 a, there's a hardlining group where, where zeal for them is, is I'm going to take you down, I'm going to blow you up. If they had suicide bombers, they would be signing up, okay? Um, and so, and there's a tradition of this in Judaism, right, and ours by, by, by inheritance, right? Um, Phinehas, right, one of the high priests, he killed an Israelite and a Midianite mistress while they're committing the act, right? And he was commended for his zeal, and it was said it was his zeal, right? Um, Elijah, when he slaughters all the prophets of, of, of Baal, right, they're like, way to go, Elijah, right? That's zeal. Um, the Maccabean revolt, Right, and in, 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 the, in the book of Maccabees says they burned with zeal. And what did they do in their build? Burned with zeal. They killed a fellow Judean and a Syrian official um, for attempting to offer a pagan sacrifice. Right, it goes straight to the knife. Um, and then, and then he rallies his sons, saying, "Let everyone who is zealous for the law and support the covenant come out with me, so we can go slaughter us some Greeks." Right. Um, same thing in the Qumran scrolls, right, from, from the Essenes that are out, out hiding in the bush. Um, they're the first Mennonites, I guess. Um, they encourage them to come zealous against all those who practice wickedness. Um, 
And then um, they offer, even Philo offers a warning where he says, There are thousands who have their eyes upon him full of zeal for the laws, strictest guardians of ancestral institutions, merciless to those who do anything to subvert them. Okay? So, zeal is holiness, purity, separation, hatred of paganism, violence. That's what comes with zeal. And that is the school that Saul is coming from when he is killing Christians. Because that's what he's doing. Right? Is that, is that Saul was, and he says it, I was happily doing it. And he does refer to his own years of, of, of doing that. Um, so given that background, um, with how they viewed paganism, it's not shocking to know why Saul could end up like that. Right? Like, it's not actually that weird. It might be weird to us today, but it's not weird um, in that world. And that's what being a Pharisee was all about. Okay? Um, Judaism, um, like I said, that was not a, a religion. Right? This is a way of life. This is something you fight for. This is something you take arms for. This is, this is your nation. This is your people. It's your citizenship. Right? It's, it's, it goes straight to every aspect of identity um, for people of the time. Um, so he believed it was his duty to stop. It was his duty to stop by whatever means necessary. Anyone who perverted Israel's worship or affronted Israel's holiness, right? This is, this is what's in his mind. Um, so Saul is an extremist, right? He's the most unlikely candidate for baptism, okay? Because he hates it with all of his heart. And it goes against everything he stands for. And in his view, it's a perversion of the holiness of God himself. Right? This is who God is calling. Right? So that, this is why God chooses the most unlikely to make a point. Right? He chose fishermen. Right? He chose these people like, to be his 12 and his 70. And he's choosing Saul. He's choosing people who are like, really? Really, God? Um, like, that's who you have in mind? Um, and, and, and God, like, trust me, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I know everything, actually. Um, and so Saul's brand of Phariseeism made him attack religious deviants um, with bloodthirsty righteousness that we've seen in the modern world. Just, we're not used to thinking about it, of, of our heroes of faith, right? And so that's what he did. Um, he was basically a jihadist fighting for Sharia. Um, and literally, because Sharia means the law. So that's what it was that he was doing. Um, and then he meets Jesus, right? And that messes him up a lot, right? Because now he's on the road, um, and it says he was given authority from the chief priests um, to bring back Christians by force to Jerusalem, right? So they're now not even waging a campaign locally. Paul says, I was given permission to go anywhere and drag them back to beat them, kill them, stone them, do whatever it is that we're gonna do with them. So it's on the road to Damascus that Paul never goes into details of. St. Luke does three times, right? He really wants to drive the, the point home, but St. Paul, makes reference to the event, but he never goes into the details, actually, um, himself. And this is, I like to, to meditate for a second, 
this is the whole, uh, we talked about when we're doing John. If you encounter the risen Lord, it's game over, everything changes. Right? Where, where you, you, you can't. It's, your, it's, it's metania. It's, it's, it's change of mind. Um, it is impossible to return to as you were before it. You can't. Right? You can deny it, you can try, you can do whatever, but you can't. Right? And here's this murder, right? And all that Christ says to him when he falls off of his horse and is blinded, right? And Paul knows who it is, right? Um, and he uses an interesting language when he refers to the event later on. He says, God who revealed Christ in me. Right, where where it's it's very intentional. It's not it's not a word that has multiple meanings. Where he's where it was a knowledge that wasn't just external. It was something that that entered him completely, right? And 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 Christ just says to him, you know, you're kicking against the goes. He goes, but I am the guy. I am the guy you're persecuting, right? And that was a cataclysmic event for Saul, right? Because every meaning he had to what he was doing was destroyed in a moment, right? It was, like, it was, it was done. And that's a problem, right? Because, and this is why we're going to see this in St. Paul's theology, because he was arguing, your Christianity is not reconcilable whatsoever with Judaism. And then Christ says, uh, actually, it does, right? And now he can't argue, even if he doesn't get it yet, right? Because he's just like, oh, right? And then now he has to figure out how does this work, right? And that's why he wrestles with this, and that's why he talks about it so much more than anybody else, is because that was his big deal, right? Because it was, it was his whole point with this, and you can't. And then the whole foundation of his apostleship is, yes, it can Right? And that makes him the most ideal now preacher to everyone, right? both Jew and Gentile. Right? And, it, and, it, and it flips him up, upside down. Because um, he speaks of it as seeing the Lord. He speaks of having a light shone in the heart. He says, the sun revealed in me. Um, and he even uses a graphic image of saying that he was like an infant ripped out of his mother's womb. Right? Like it, was, it, was like it wasn't even natural childbirth. Like, he was like, I was torn out violently to reality, right? That, that, that was, a, I, I can't imagine what kind of event that was. Um, so he's a true convert <laughs> at this point, right? There, like, there's not, there's not a truer sense of conversion than that. Um, and when I use the word convert here, I don't mean switching faiths. Because as we said earlier, St. Paul is not renouncing Judaism, right? We use the word conversion today almost to say you've renounced what you were and you've become this. No, that's not what's happened. He's had a conversion of the heart. He's had a change of mind, right? He's, he's had a methania. Um, because he doesn't abandon Judaism for Christianity. Christianity doesn't even have a name yet, right? There, this, this isn't even a, a, a thing. Um, what he has is a 180 degree turn on his convictions on what he thinks he knows about, um, about God, right? And who is the God of Israel? 
Um, and as he sorts through this, we'll see by the end of his theology, not just in Romans, but throughout, how he arrives at Jesus is God, right? When he calls him Kyrios. Um, and so now Paul is forced, and, 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 and Christ does to him, right? God does to him what we saw with Abram, right? Who became Abraham, Sarah, who becomes Sarah, who becomes Sarah Jacob, who becomes Israel, right? Is that, is that he's, he's made this kind of God he's called, he's chosen. Saul becomes Paul. Um, and so actually, Paul means small or humble. Um, which is what God wants to do to him. Whereas Saul means asked for, prayed for, right? And so God's like, I, I, I you know, I'm not, you're not what I was asked for. <laughs> you're small, okay? Know that you're small, right? And Paul does see himself as small. That's probably probably the biggest thing that changes in Paul after this encounter. That is the realest thing I think that happens to anybody who's encountered God is they they find out who they are. Right? And that and you know you're small. Not because he puts you down, but because you see what can't be contained and then you recognize right your 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 smallness. Um so he makes this 180 degree, um, and, and these people that he saw as sectarians and loyal to a false messiah, um, he now, like his accusation against the Jews was they're following a false messiah, and now, by calling him his son in a messianic sense, he's saying that the resurrection shows that he is the messiah, right? So what I was using as accusation is now... True, right? So this is this is a big deal, um, because now there's consequences, right? And this is important for us too. Everyone talks about God. Don't know if everyone believes in God even when they come to church, because if you believe in Him, who He is, who He says He is, there are consequences. They're inevitable. Like they, you just they're, they're because something's true, some things have to fall in place. If health is real it means something about how I live, right? Inevitably. It means that I could be unhealthy. If health is not real, then it doesn't matter. But if health is real, then now I have to actually ask questions, right? Of being like, is this right, what I'm doing? So, right away, if this was true, and he was sure it was true, right? Then the true representative of Israel now, in Paul's eyes, it's not the high priest of the temple, it's the high priest who is Jesus. And that's, that's a very big deal. Um, it meant that what God had promised to do had happened. Right? They were waiting for something. Jews are still waiting for something. Right? And so Paul's like, oh, it happened? Oh, okay, so then now what do we do? Just like when, when Peter preaches in the book of Acts, his first preaching on Pentecost, after he finishes it, the people say... So what do we do, right? There's this compulsion to act on it. Um, and so now resurrection meant that the kingdom of God had been inaugurated, right? Because that's what Jesus said, right? He said that she, he, Jesus said the kingdom is here, and he'd also say it's coming, right? There's this, these two things happen. So Jesus is the first fruits of the kingdom. 
he rose, right? And so now Paul's like, oh, so we're going to do that, right? That's why Paul's theology, because of his training, we're talking about 10, 15 years after the death of, and resurrection of our Lord, Paul's already writing, um, and he's saying those things, right? Where he's like, no, that's the first verse. Romans is written a little bit later, but he writes about the resurrection in Corinthians, which is earlier, um, and, and, and makes reference to these things. So resurrection becomes a thing. But the bigger deal for St. Paul is that that means that the, word, the, the world's true Lord, Kyrios, which the Greeks were, were also calling the emperor to call him a god, he's saying this title belongs to Jesus. But the word Lord throughout Scripture refers to who the Jews see as God, who we would say the Father. And so that made him go search the scriptures that he's indoctrinated and that he's trained in. Um, and he looks at the Son of Man um, uh, scriptures of Daniel. He looks at Israel's king running to the nation from Isaiah, because in Paul is so scriptural, and says, this curios that we encounter, that I encounter, is enthroned with God. But there can only be one God, right? He is, he is arriving at now by experience, not by the Council of Nicaea, right? And saying that he is God. And that's why he's able to say things like, in Philippians, who counted it not a thing to be grasped, um, uh, or um, there's a better word for that, um, exploited is a better word, that he count that he was equal, though equal with God, emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Right? He's making a theological claim there that Jesus is God. Right? So it's not now just the Gospels that are saying it. Paul is writing that before the Gospels, where he's saying the Scriptures, if, if this man, Jesus, has truly rose, there can only be one conclusion. He is God. He is the true Kyrios. So when he uses the word Lord in, in, in Romans, I'm sorry, I know I'm, I'm making it a little bit boring. I'll try and get into it. But when he uses the word Lord, it means something, right? It's not like today where we shout, praise, hallelujah, Jesus is Lord. No, like that was a really big deal. That was a proclamation of something completely blasphemous, right? It was saying that a man that we encountered in the flesh who died and was savagely murdered that, would, that rose isn't just a man. Actually, it was God, right? And that set the world upside down. It set Paul upside down. It set the Jews upside down. It set everybody upside down, right? That's why Jews are killing Christians at this time, right? It's also why Romans are going to be killing Christians soon, right, after this. Um, it's because this isn't something um, <coughs> small. Um, so he has this experience and basically he just got beat up by God um, and doesn't know what to do so actually Paul drops off the map right? we, we go right into the epistles and we're going and write these nice things and he went out and preaching no he didn't, he actually goes he lays low initially first he sent to a priest or a bishop actually to heal him right? so that he has no doubt Right about what happened to him. Right, this is why God made him deal with a human. Whereas, like, now I'm going to give you a witness. 
right? So that you don't just think, oh, you had this weird experience, you thought you were blind, but you weren't, you didn't sleep well, you had mushrooms, whatever it is you think. No, here's a witness that you're gonna have to come back to um, that can put it in your face of I know you and I saw you. Um, so from Paul's conversion roughly in the year 33, again, because we think that our Lord died probably around 30-ish, um, from then until around the year 48, we don't know much. We, 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 we can gather pieces from his different letters about what, what happened, but we're not sure. Um, we know he went to Arabia, he says so. Um, it seems like he was there for, for three years. Um, and, and one of the speculations is that he went to Mount Sinai, um, just as Moses did. Um, St. Paul suggests, it's not, he doesn't say explicitly, but it sounds like there the Lord himself taught him. Um, because he says multiple times, as I was taught by the Lord. Um, so whether it's the whole time, whether it's on occasion, we don't know, but he saw the Lord regularly and was taught. Um, then he returns to Damascus, um, and then he flees there because of plots against his life. Um, that takes us to the year 36. Eventually he goes to Jerusalem where he finally meets Peter and James, right? And there was some nervousness about this encounter in says in Acts because they were like, is he fake? Right? Like, this is the guy that was killing us, right? Like, are we going to let Bin Laden into the church? Um, because he doesn't like us, right? He's on the record. Um, and so, like, you've got to understand how scary this must have been to the early church, being like, what if this is undercover, <laughs> right? Like, it, he could be, right? Of, like, let me, like, attack from within, who knows? Um, so there, and that's why he had to have people come in and, and vouch for him and be like, no, I've been with him, right? Barnabas comes and, like, I know him, he's safe, don't worry, right? And they're like, okay, we'll take your word for it. Um, and so, um, he goes to Jerusalem, and he was clearly accepted, and he was sent out as an emissary, out back to Antioch. Um, and so he chills over there for a while. So, as he's in Antioch, Peter is there. And Peter, God love Peter, um, I don't, I love Peter. Um, he's really annoying sometimes. So, saying, <laughs> That's probably why I like him. So St. Peter, at first, is completely cool with this Antiochian, let's sit together and hold hands and kumbaya, Gentiles and Jews at the same table and eat. Everything is good. But what we were talking about earlier matters now, right? About how skeptical people are in Jerusalem about pagans, right? And so everybody was fine, right? But then James has sent some people to Antioch. James is Bishop of Jerusalem. Technically, he's the, they viewed him as the head, right? That's why they sent to James as a, this, this whole concept of Petrine primacy wasn't there at the beginning. But, um, and so when Peter sees the ambassador coming from Jerusalem, Peter's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. I'll go sit with the Jews again. And so Paul freaks out on him, right? So St. Paul, and this is very, like, as we go through the Book of Romans, we're going to meditate on it theologically, but also spiritually and, and from a service perspective, right, of servants fight, okay, the apostles fight. Like, a lot of people make, it, make a lot out of coaching with an Mesquine fighting, and I'm like, yeah, since, since, since time, right, like, that's not new, right? We have, we have Peter and Paul publicly 
tearing each other apart. And, and to be honest, the, from scripture, it's not like Peter got roasted. Um, like if Peter made any strong defense, it didn't make the books, right? Where Paul's like, what a hypocrite, right? You were just sitting with them, what changed, right? Now they're dirty, now they're defiled, right? And Paul is saying in front of everybody, right? And so poor Peter is like, got his tail between his legs, and then they're like, let's, let's go to Jerusalem and figure this out, right? So they, that's the first, actually the first ecumenical council really is when they see it's Jerusalem. Um, and they meet and they talk and like, okay, we won't require Gentiles um, to be circumcised, right? So they're like, all we're asking is avoid food offered to idols, because that was a big deal for the Jews, and avoid fornication. You know, I never paid much attention to this till recently. Is that St. Paul's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then Paul says in Corinthians, I'll leave it. Um, he actually says that. Or he's like, I don't have a problem with it. If it bothers my brother, I won't. But actually, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so Paul, Paul is defiant. So Paul hasn't stopped being zealous. Um, he's just not killing people anymore. Um, but that's Paul's personality always. Paul's his headstrong go-getter and like, talk to me rationally or I'll beat you up intellectually. Um, and he will win because he can do it. Um, so that event happens and it, and it affects everything because now there's tension, right? And so now there's so much tension that they go separate ways where there's been some fight where Paul's like, I don't want this brat, Mark, um, founder of our church in Egypt. So that fight worked really well in our favor um, because Mark goes to Egypt instead. Um, but Paul's like, I don't want him because um, they're supposed to go. So it causes them to all go in these in these separate ways. Um, and so uh, he goes to many cities. I'm not going to go through all of Paul's Euro tours. Um, but it's important to say that what Paul does changes all of history. What St. Paul does is second only to what our Lord did. That's indisputable, right? Like Christianity as we know it today, really, like, we, we owe Paul even more deference than we already give him. Because in every major Roman city, he was establishing churches. Um, he was changing how people viewed religion. He took away the ethnic thing completely, which is what we're going to get to Romans is, is about, right? And said, no, what saves everyone is the Lord, right? Whether you're Jew or Gentile. You are made right with God through the person of Christ, right? And that, that changed everything, right? Because it was no longer about temple. It was no longer about location. It was no longer about culture. It was no longer about ethnicity and heritage. It was about the person of the Lord Christ. Um, he, he, he did that. By the grace of God, he did that. Um, and... And when you read the book of Acts, when you read his letters, you've got to realize that there's things that are said in passing that today you don't, might, might not know how big of a deal they are. When he goes to the Areopagus, which half of us can't pronounce when we're reading the epistle, right? That's a major place in Athens. That's where you have, like, it's like the Supreme Court of the United States, okay? People don't go to the Areopagus to discuss whether or not we want to, like, put a tariff on cattle, okay? You go there for the highest or the high level of, of intense cases to discuss. And Paul goes there and he owns it, right? Because they're putting him on trial saying, you're bringing in weird religions here. You could be killed for that. Because Christianity was hiding out under Judaism at first, because Judaism was legal, 
right? And so accusations are being brought in by Romans now saying, actually, they're not. They're not Jews, right? And Paul owns them, right? Paul, because he's a philosopher, right? When we read that account where he's um, on the hill and he's like, ah, oh, it's the unknown God. Let me tell you who that unknown God is, right? And then he goes through their philosophies, tears it apart. And if you read a little bit of Stoicism and about all the different philosophies of the time, um, you, you'll see that Paul knows it all, right? And so he's just so comfortable. That's why Paul says confidently, to the Jew, I'm a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm a Gentile. To the Greek, I'm a Greek. I can talk to anybody, right? Because I get them, right? It's not, he's not selling something. He's being converted, right? So he's like, I, I will meet you where you're at, and I will turn it on his head and, and, and fix you. Um, he goes to Corinth for 18 months, just so you have a sense sometimes of there's places he went for a short time, things go long. Corinth for 18 months, then he goes to Ephesus, then he goes to Jerusalem, then he goes to Antioch, then he goes back to Ephesus, spends three years there. Um, has a really tough time there, and Paul's very human when he says, I had a worse time, I despaired of my life. Um, and he really doesn't like the Corinthians. Um, then he goes to Macedonia, Greece, back to Corinth for the third time. Um, during a three-month stay over in Corinth, um, he decides to go back to Jerusalem because he's been collecting money to give to the poor of Jerusalem. Um, but he starts thinking about what are my next steps, and he's thinking, I want to go to Spain. Okay, and this matters not because this is going to take us into Romans, because um, there's a reason why he's writing Romans. He's like, I want to go to Spain, because Spain was the farthest outlier, practically, of the Roman Empire. He's like, I want, I want the gospel, the good news, to be declared to the ends of the earth as we know it. Okay, so he's like, Spain. But he's like, but I need a home base. Okay? So Antioch was his home base for his Euro tours, right? Where he is there long enough, he's established there, he had, a, he had, he had enough uh, community, he had enough support, there are people who could take care of things. If there's things that he needed to get on a journey, he had his, he had his peeps there, he had his people there. But he didn't have that out west, right? So he's like, if I'm going to go to do that in Spain, I need a base here, but I haven't been to Rome. Um, so to get to Rome, is like, I need to go, but there's a problem in Rome. We're going to get to what that, that problem is. So this is what gets him thinking. So he is like, okay, he starts planning it while he's in, while he's in Corinth, right, his intentions, because he writes this letter to the Romans because he's got this plan to go there. Um, but that doesn't happen. Um, doesn't go how he planned at all. Because... Um, when he goes back to Jerusalem, uh, he ends up getting arrested. So he'll make it to Rome, right? But when he eventually gets to Rome, he'll be under house arrest. Um, he won't be there in the capacity that he was um, anticipating. Um, so he flees Jewish ag agitators from Greece, goes to Macedonia, then to Troas, then Miletus. Um, then he goes to a bunch of coastal cities, then goes to Caesarea, then goes to Jerusalem. And this is the irony. So he goes to Jerusalem, um, and he's wanting to avoid violent confrontation. Because at this point, the Jews back home, they're like, we hate that guy. Right? They're like, he was our, he was our bin Laden. Right? And now he's going out and saying right, that everything we're doing is wrong. So they hate him. Right? And they want him dead. Um, so, St. James, gotta love him, because poor St. Paul got home for it. Um, he goes, you know what, why don't you go make nice 
right? And it says this in the, in, in the book of Acts, right? He was like, you know what? Go do the purification ritual in the temple. That will show them that you don't hate what they're doing, that you haven't spurned the law, right? Just, it'll be, it'll be nice, okay? So, just be a, be a champ. Go do the ritual. People are going to love it. Jews are going to love you for it. It could not have gone worse. A riot breaks out. Okay? I just want this to be so real to you, right? This is not, like, when we're reading these stories, like, this is complete chaos. Can you imagine a guy walks in church and then literally thousands of people erupt into riot and start beating each other up? This is what happens. Okay? So Paul goes in and a riot ensues of, like, get this guy out of there. And then they're accusing him of bringing in two infidel pagan Greeks who are not circumcised, who are dirty, into the temple saying, you know, you're defiling the temple, right? So you've now not just insulted us by, by your very existence, right? But you've defiled the temple by bringing in these Gentiles. And everything we suspected about all of you dirty Gentiles is true, and that this guy's working undercover to defile the temple and take us over, and boom, all hell breaks loose. Um, and so poor Paul, who was just the obedient, um, <laughs> Whatever he was suspected for, he's now guilty in the eyes of the people. Um, and in the uproar, Paul was only saved from being beaten to death by Roman soldiers. Okay, so actually the Romans are the ones who saved him from, from, from dying there. Um, and then Paul gives a speech to them, hoping to mollify them. It was not a success. Um, he could not win them over. He went over the whole world, but not Judea. Um, and so he was taken into custody for his own protection. Um, the apostles suffered, right? We don't realize what they did, right? They, they did a lot. Um, so for three years, Paul is now stuck in Caesarea, right? The poor guy is now literally just stuck there, so, so much for Rome. Um, so he went through legal proceedings or an assassination plot. You can read all about it in the Bible. Um, manipulation by the governor, who was actually looking for him to bribe him. Um, sounds like Egypt, or North America too. Um, and so that's when Paul plays the citizenship card. Okay? So he didn't just wake up one morning and be like, Roman, this is three years worth of ordeal, where he's like, I've had enough. He goes, you know I'm a Roman, right? So I appeal to Caesar. So that's a trump card, right? Jews are second class, they're not citizens. Right? And so, as a citizen of Rome, he's not Trump, they don't get crucified, right? They have access to appeals, so now it's mandated, now he has to go to Rome. He needs to meet with the emperor, only now he can only deal with Caesar. Um, Maybe he did this because he was willing to go to the West, and Rome was the capital of the West at that time. So instead of going to Spain and stuff like that, he would go to the capital of the West world at that time, Oh no, he still wanted to go to Spain, and he wanted to go to Rome. So he was definitely using it to his favor. So he said, I can't do it, so let me do it by hook or crook. So, yes. so either uh, in chains or just free. Exactly. But he wasn't expecting to be under house arrest. That's, that's what was the, the catastrophe. That was the, uh, I don't know what the word is for that. that not catastrophe. What's the word for that? Um, no, it's like... Um, you know when you like the turning point? No, when you you got this like this super duper plan, and then the one thing goes wrong. And, right. and the caveat. Itself. Sorry. Caveat. No. Catch twenty two. I don't know what happened. One is here, and I can't speak in my hands. Um. So he calls Caesar, 
And unfortunately, right after he did that, um, King Herod Agrippa II and his sister meet with him, and they're like, you're innocent, and we can't do anything now, because you appealed to Caesar, right? And so he goes from, so he's like, no problem, but now he's going as a, as a prisoner. But Paul's like, but I serve God even in my, my bond. Like, it wasn't like he was upset, right? But it wasn't, it wasn't what he had um, planned. And so on the way to Rome as a prisoner, we read all these stories, there's shipwrecks, there's all these, like, crazy adventures that happen, like... He had a really eventful life. Um, but he was, he was about to be killed if he didn't raise his, his case to Caesar because 40 men, 40 Jewish men were uh, fasting till they kill him in Jerusalem. So right. he was having no other option either to accept to be killed or to raise his case to, uh, right. to go to Rome. Right, but he was okay with being killed too, which he said. Right, like he said, I don't mind because actually, it was prophesied about him before he went to Jerusalem that there he might die there, and so they tried to prevent him from going to Jerusalem, right? And Saint Paul says, I would love to, right? So he, Paul's not afraid of his death, right? And so to him, it's just like literally, God, what do you want? That's why wherever he went, he was like, I'll just do the work wherever I was, and he was a successful preaching from his house arrest. Right, as he was when he wasn't. Right, like the, the guy never stopped. Right, like St. Paul doesn't stop. Um, so he's under house arrest from the year 60 to 62. Um, he's released from house arrest around the year 62, and immediately he starts traveling. Um, we, we think he went to Spain, we're not sure. I really hope after all that he did. Um, and, then, and then all hell breaks was literally because Nero becomes emperor. Right, Nero's a really crazy guy. If you haven't read the book Flames of Rome, it's an exceptional book. It's written as fiction. It's a really, really good book. If you want to learn about Nero and the early church under him and all of that, Nero was crazy. Things weren't going his way. He decided he was God. Um, he set Rome on fire while playing his, his instrument, um, and then pinned the death, pinned the fire of Rome on the Christians as an excuse to round them up and kill them. And it was in that persecution that Saint Peter, Saint Paul. Um, and all these people were, were killed. Um, so we think St. Paul died somewhere around the year 64. Um, and then that is that. So that's, that's Paul's life. So I will do a quick kind of intro into Romans, and then next time we'll actually do Romans. But um, this all does matter. <laughs> Sorry for if I've if made it too long. But this does matter for knowing what... Paul's talking about, right? Because this is a letter. This is not that he wrote to just write a bunch of chapters about random topics. It's a letter, right? Letters have a purpose, right? They're addressing something or trying to say something, but letters are not just, so I decided I'm gonna write an essay on salvation and send it to my friends, right? There's, he's, he's writing from, from somewhere. So Romans, as we said, is arguably the most influential letter of St. Paul ever written. Um, it is definitely the most important letter in the history of Christianity. It has caused conversions, doctrines, disputations. Augustine, actually, one of his main points of conversion was, was the Book of Romans. Um, um, Luther was, was very taken by it. So was John Wesley in the West. For those of you who know the Western history, um, Karl Barth, like this has been, 
every major turning point in Christian history, East and West, has come back to Romans. Right? That this letter is of monumental importance. That's why I didn't want to talk about it. Um, in 49, Emperor Claudius um, kicked the Jews out of Rome. Um, and it's funny because it says because they were fighting over some Crestus fellow, which was probably a mispronunciation of Christus. <laughs> um, and it was an internal, most likely an internal argument between the Jews and the Christians of Rome about who is Christ, Jesus Christ. Is he the Messiah or not? So Claudius said, well, I've had enough of all of you. You can all leave. Right? So he kicked them all out. So um, two of the people who leave are a couple known as Priscilla and Aquila, um, which you encounter in multiple epistles. Um, because they had to leave. They were very rich people. They were friends with Paul. Paul meets them, I think, in court, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so he's got this relationship with them. But eventually, when Claudius dies, the Jews go back. So actually, the Romans only kicked out the Jews. So the Christians are like, aha, I'm not a Jew. Right? The, the Gentile converts to Christianity say, well, we're not Jews. Right? And so the Jews have left, and they're like, good, good riddance. They're annoying anyway. Um, and so when they come back, they fight, right? So when Claudius has died, there's, there's tension going on in Rome, right? Where Romans have this sense of the Gentile converts are looking at the Jewish people and saying, you don't matter anymore. Jesus came, right? Um, and so this is something that Paul is going to address of saying, no, the Jews matter. And what about the law? And what about the Jews, right? And so there's this going on. So Paul is using an in here, um, I will get to that, actually. I'll skip that for a second. So that happened. So they got killed out. Um, that fight happened. Um, people are sad. Um, so Romans is written in or near Corinth around the year 55-56 AD. It's one of his later-ish um, letters. It's not one of his first ones. Um, and he had many purposes in mind. It wasn't, like, other letters, is very clear. There's a specific problem. I just want to address this and get it over with. It's not as clear with Romans. So he wants to introduce himself because they don't know him. Okay? They haven't met him. They've probably heard of him. Um, he also wants to defend his work against miscellaneous rumors, he says. And what he probably is referring to here is a group of people called Judaizers. Okay? So Judaizers were a thorn in his side. Um, and so what they would do is that this group of people who were mad that Paul was saying, you don't need to keep the ritual law. So wherever Paul would go, they would go in and oppose him. So they started off by, Paul would talk, then they would stand up and debate him. Then they would wait till, sometimes they'd try and go before him to a city if they knew he was going, and, and prevent him before he went. Other times they were like, no, 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 you know what, he's a really good speaker. Let him go, and then we'll go in and, and fix it. So they would wreak havoc everywhere, and it would drive him crazy. But what they would say to people is, Paul's not even a real apostle. He's not one of the 12. He's not one of the 70. Why are you listening to Paul? Right? That's why Paul defends himself so much in his letters and people think he's being arrogant. He's not. He's like, yes, I am an apostle. Right? So when he says Paul, an apostle, he's making a point. Right? He's saying, yes, I am sent. Okay? I am chosen. And he says in other places. And that's why he goes, you know what? Let me, let me speak to you with complete folly. I'm not an apostle. I'm sorry. I suffered more than them. I worked more than them. I went through more hell than them. I suffered. They didn't do what I did. He goes, if I speak as a man. And he goes, well, I'll count all of that as folly because I'm doing this for the sake of the Lord. Right? He's like, I'm not doing this to boast. I'm saying, don't say I'm not an apostle. 
I am an apostle, right? As one called out of season, and that's what he is. He was called by the Lord on the road to Damascus. That's valid. And the Lord taught him in Arabia. This all meets together, right? There's a reason for all of this, right? And so the Judaizers eventually started going in, in advance of him going. So there's good reason to believe that the Judaizers had already gone to Rome and said, there's this guy, right? He's going to come. Because if, if you can say it first, you usually win. Right? So they want to go first and be like, there's a guy coming, he's eloquent, he's good, he's a good speaker, but he's wrong. Right? We come from Jerusalem, we know James, right? we know Peter, we know the real guys. Right? Don't listen to him. When he comes, don't listen. So one of the things that seems to be going on is that Paul is defending himself in advance because he talks about these rumors in the early chapters, he talks about things being said, and it seems to be about those um, very issues. Um, he wants to, to heal the rifts in the church caused by the return of the Jewish leaders, that we're talking about the Jewish Christian leaders, like Priscilla and Aquila, who he happens to know. Right? So that's an in for him. Um, they've been going for six years since Claudius's edict. Um, and because Romans didn't like Jews, for once, actually, the concern of St. Paul here is, like, in other places, he's worried about Jews being mean to Gentiles. This was a church where he was actually worried about Gentile being into Jews, right? It was actually a different concern than, than the usual. Um, and he didn't want there to be ethnic division, right? That was one of, his, that is one of the main concerns. So he was hoping to also establish for himself the reason for going, because he wants to go to Spain, right? And he says that. He's open to going to Spain. But by introducing himself, he's like, okay, I have multiple things going on here. I have valid reason to write pastorally. I have valid reason to write like administratively, so I'm gonna I'm gonna use all of these things, um, and he also wanted to bring them fresh insight too, like from his own his own thing, because the Church of Rome nobody knows who started it, right? Like the the, the Petrine claim today is that it's Peter and Paul it doesn't seem so at all, right? Because there's already a, a community here. We have no real evidence that Peter ever went to Rome before he got killed there. Um, it's not actually even likely. We know they went to Antioch, but it's not likely that they went to Rome. It seems that the Church of Rome was established by people, by Jews from the diaspora that had converted at Pentecost and gone back. I was about to say. Yeah. Um, that's the most likely. The Jews that returned from Exactly. They're most likely the founders. So that's what's going on there. Um, so that's what he wants to do. Um, and so first he needs to win the Roman church over to his gospel. And so this is the glory of Romans, right? Romans is, is a summation of everything that St. Paul believes, right? So you see bits and pieces of his soteriology in his other letters. But in Romans, it comes together, okay? In Romans, it's not I'm addressing random points. In Romans, it's like, no, let me tell you the story. Okay, this is the story of salvation. This is the history of salvation of the whole world that meets itself in history through the person of Jesus Christ in whom there is no longer Gentile or Jew. There is no longer greater or less. He's going to make reference to that. Greater or less being, were you born a Jew or you born a Gentile? Right? There is no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no longer any of this now in the person of the Lord. This is what... Um, the message of Romans is going to be about. Um, it's a masterpiece of missionary theology, and that's why Romans matters today more than ever, right? Because we are in an age where mission is needed 
from scratch, right? We, as CBC constantly reminds us, live in a post-Christian era, right? Where people just don't care anymore. They're over Christianity, right? And so now we have people within the church and outside the church who know nothing about the gospel, right? Inside and out. And so now is a question of what is this all about, right? And then specifically, one of the banes of Orthodox culture um, is ethnic issues, right? Is because all these... Like, look at the names of our churches. They're Serbian, they're Coptic, they're Armenian, right? They, they carry the badge of country, right? There's an, there's an ethnic label put right on it, right? If you see a church that says Korean Presbyterian Church, what do you assume the church is supposed to be for? Korean Presbyterians, right? You, you've said this is a place for Koreans to come. I know that there's more to it than just the ethnic part. What I'm trying to say is we now have these issues within our own churches, about culture, religion, right? Actually, it's funny because we're having the culture versus religion debates, not just in North America, we're having it in Egypt now too. Um, because there's a new culture, right? And so it, it makes everyone ask, well, what is doctrine? What is belief? And what is a cultural heritage that I have? What is it, like in, in, in Arabic culture, Egyptian culture, it's, it's the aib, haram, right? Which means like inappropriate or forbidden versus holy or unholy, right? Like, like that should be the real question. Is it an image and likeness of God or not? It shouldn't be a cultural standard, right? That's why in North America it might be okay for a guy to have long hair. It's culturally inappropriate in Egypt. But is it? Well, it was. It's not anymore. But um, is it a sin? No. Because it's not a doctrinal issue. It's not a faith issue, right? It might be a socially taboo thing. Right? And so Paul's addressing this head on. Right? Paul, like the early church, if we want to learn how to solve these problems, go to the Bible because the Bible dealt with that exact same issue. And Paul was a champion of this. And he was the most unlikely champion of it. That's what makes it even more compelling. Because Paul was a guy saying, everything you all do is wrong. Exactly. Right? And that's what made all the difference. So it is the masterpiece of missionary theology of Christological exegesis of saying who is Christ, right? That, that banged the early church for, for six centuries at least, um, still arguably. Um, and then his training in rhetoric brings it all together because he just says it and you get, you get bowled over, you don't realize how profound what he <coughs> said was, right? Like if you, if you pay attention, you just you get punched in the face like he was um, and realize what's going on. So he's going to care to, I'm going to wrap it up, I didn't know this, it's nine, I'm sorry. He's going to have themes of establishing Jesus as God's Messiah, which, again, understand that went against every grain of Paul's existence. And now it's his song, right, of yes, he is the Messiah. The righteousness of God, and that's going to be an important word because the term in Greek is bizarrely translated in most of our Bibles in the same epistle in multiple ways, even though it's the same word. In the same epistle in English, you'll sometimes see it as justification, you'll see it as righteousness, um, and, and it's being used inter interchangeably. And that matters because when you're talking about justification, in the West, most people think that about that legally. This is why Westernies have a problem, right? Because it's like, okay, what makes me right legally with God, right? Versus justification, understanding it as righteousness, the, the, 
which is really faithfulness, which is the word that has been used here, is not about a legal issue. It is about being made right, being made good, being made holy. And Paul is mostly talking about the righteousness of God, not of man. Um, and so he's going he's gonna to establish Christ as the Messiah, talk about the righteousness of God, God's fidelity, faithfulness, um, his integrity, his impartiality, um, his saving power and his restorative justice. He does talk about that. And he'll talk about justification, which I want you to only think of in one way of being made right with God. Not in any other way. So we can avoid having the modern arguments that are not probably at all what St. Paul was talking about. Um, the obedience of faith. The death and resurrection of Jesus, because that is who and what changed Paul. Um, and of our subsequent resurrection. Salvation, and this is so important because this is not how Luther treated it, and it's not even how Augustine to some extent treated it. Salvation as God's restoration of humanity's lost glory and righteousness. This is what Paul's talking about when being right with God. It's about human glory being restored to its original position before the fall that could only be established through the glory of God and his righteousness. Um, and that we can only today achieve by conformity to Christ, which in orthodoxy we call deification. Right? Or what we would call sanctification. This is what St. Cyril and St. Athanasius build entire theologies on. Right? It's about sanctification, of being partakers of the divine nature, um, as, as, as the epistles tell us. Not this one, but in general. Um, the gospel as God's peacemaking initiative. Okay? Um, and politically, actually, and he's not doing it to be politically. He challenges Rome, okay, where he's saying, no, 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 like, like, because Rome thought, oh, here's just another religion added on, because Rome would acquire religions, right, and the same way that Alexander the Great acquired religions, and Paul's like, no, 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 this is not another religion, this, this cancels all that you got. This means shove all of that aside, turn it off, it's not real, it's fake, it ends. This is real truth. Right? And, it and, it, and it changes everything. And that's a big problem in Rome, because there were people who wanted to play both ways. Right? And he's like, no, get rid of that. Um, he will explicitly cite the Old Testament at least 60 times, um, and implicitly countless more times. Okay? Like, he, he knows his stuff. Um, and he wants to come, help them come to the conclusion that the Gentiles and the Jew are put right with God in the exact same way. Right? That's going to be um, the core of it. Um, I will end there, the rest are references, um, so that if I get called out, I have my sources. Um, but I hope that what we can see in him as we go through Romans like, I want you to appreciate the magnitude of Paul, the magnitude of history, the magnitude of what's going on, the difficulty of position, the difficulty of the early church, the realness of the problems that they faced, and that it was all made possible through one thing and one thing only, his encounter with the risen Lord. Right? When one person has been touched by the Lord Jesus, actually, not in the cliche kumbaya way, okay, it makes them different. When God outreaches us, and He does, I'm having trouble hearing you. God
God, I can't hear you. <laughs> I feel the moment. When God outreaches man, and he does, right? He came to Saul as a murderer, a well-intentioned, zealous murderer, but a murderer nonetheless, right? It is his speaking to him on the road to Damascus where he says, I call you Paul, right? And he gave him his name. Right? We, we receive our identity in Christ, and when we do, our world gets turned upside down. I am glory be to Him and His Father and the Holy Spirit. Now it's always good. Any questions or comments? I'm sorry, I know that it can get really boring and academic, but I hope it wasn't painful. <laughs> Could you repeat again what the key terms you thought Luther and Augustine? Uh, justification. I think the problem that Luther and Augustine have, they made it personal. Um, they made it about my personal being made right with God. And if you take the letter in that way, you will end up having those debates. You will. Right? Whereas Paul doesn't seem to be talking about that at all. Um, he's talking about the entire people of God. Whereas when you read Luther, and Luther's brilliant, right? Like, Luther's brilliant, he's not an idiot. Um, but both him and Blessed Augustine, they, they're talking about how do I, the sinner, me personally, Luther, me personally, Augustine, how do I get made right with God? And they're using Romans in that way. But it doesn't seem that that's actually what Paul's doing. I don't think anyway, right? And that's why, I'm like, as we read it, we can, we can see it. I read a good paper if you're interested. Um, I don't remember if it's from the Roman Catholic side of the Protestant side, but actually specifically about that issue, about the personalization of it. If you're interested, I can email it to you. Um, it's not too long. I think it's like six pages. It was, I hadn't thought about it, actually. Um, entirely like, oh, that's very uh, on point. And especially when you see, because an, a, a translation of the Bible is automatically an interpretation, right? Because you choose words, right? So the Keosini, you can write righteousness, you can write justification, you can write three or four different words, faithfulness is also a valid translation of it, right? So when you have that exact, and it is the exact same word, multiple times the letter, but you chose to translate it as this word here, and this word here, and this word here, there's an interpretation there, right? And that's inevitable. Like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm saying it's inevitable, right? Once you've had to translate, you've had to, that even the, the Bible didn't have chapters, by the addition of chapters, we've already applied a personal thing to it, even if it's true and even if it's valid, right? And so that's why I think with all of these controversies, we have to always go back to their world, their context, and read them as they were before we read the modern people's take on it, right? Because when, you, when, you, when we start with the secondary or the, the secondary level of readings, right, the secondary study, you're, you're reading someone's interpretation of a primary text. Um, there's value in that, right? But, but then there's a question of, did this person get that person? Did this person mean that thing? 
and we're all going to make our claims at the end of the day, right? But that's something I think it would be important to go back because I didn't know it was the same words. And like, why did they choose justification here and righteousness here, right? Why did they say the justification of man but the righteousness of God, right? Why didn't they use justification for both? Or why didn't they use righteousness for both? But in choosing to translate it, there's an interpretation. And we're stuck because we're, like, we're not, we don't have an Islamic view of you can only read it in Arabic. Right? If we were to demand that everyone has to read it in, in, in Greek, right, then no one has access to scripture, right? which most of us wouldn't be okay with either. So it's, 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 it's what ends up happening. So we have to go back and be like, what, what was his world? What did he mean? Sorry to ramble. Too, right? And that God worked through their humanity, right? Like even their fight. Like look at like with the old Coptic Church was born out of that fight, um, and and eventually they reconcile, right? Because eventually Paul writes about Mark and says he's bring him to me. He's very valuable um, to me. But that God was like, okay, and that sometimes we have to go separate ways, right? Like because it says the contention between them was so great that they parted ways. Like it explicitly says that. And I like that they don't butter it up, right? They're like, no, it was just a misunderstanding. And we were saying the same thing in different ways. Like, no, we are not. Um, <laughs> they were just real. We have 15 minutes to liturgy. Um, if anybody will pray our Father and anyone who wants to pray. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.